Welcome, everyone, to the Mission 300 podcast. Those of you tuning in for the first time, those of you who have been here since the beginning, welcome. We are alert. We are ready to dive into this episode. My name is Jason, joined as always by Brian, David, Caleb, and Tommy. Gentlemen, why don't you say something so that people can get used to the sound of your voice? Tommy, I haven't heard you speak all night yet. How are you doing? Doing great. I'm ready to rock and roll. You're ready to rock and roll. Okay, Rolling Stone. Caleb, how you feeling? Doing well. Ready to uh, roll and rock, you know? All right. Not to be too tacky. <laughs> Always the contrary in Caleb. He's a stone rolling. He's the stone rolling. Oh, my goodness. There needs to be a magazine about that. Anyways, uh, Brian and David, are you guys doing all right over there after your, your argument that you just had, which I'll tell our listeners about in a moment here? I thought I was doing good until my dad made me chug a cup of coffee. So I guess I'm doing great. We wanted to, uh, and before I bring up the argument that Brian and, and David were having, um, I want to kind of bring everybody back up to speed on where we're at in this episode. We've been talking about, we've been really picking apart Second Timothy chapter 2 um, from the perspective of a father talking to his son. And last week we talked about this aspect of the soldier in this episode, we want to get to the athlete, and as we were setting things up beforehand here, David was mentioning how much he hates certain encouragement from his father, being Brian, when it comes to certain things. So David is is somewhat athletic, has competed in various sports and races and things of that nature. So you could say he has perspective of an athlete, but there was something that he really hated hearing from his father when it came to encouragement, which I would think we would all think is a wonderful thing. So, David, I don't know if you want to bring that out for everybody again and get us rolling on this conversation here. Whenever I hear the words, you'll figure it out. Um, doesn't help me much at all. Or, you got this. Or, I believe in you. Because... Uh, doesn't help me too much. <laughs> so maybe there's there's a reason for that that we can get into, but one of the things that was kind of interesting about that as we're talking about the athlete, this is more of a focus on the the choice, the self-discipline, and an aspect of challenging yourself in this in this chapter of Second Timothy 2, whereas last week or last episode we were talking about the soldier, which is more of a perspective on authority, endurance, and seeing something through. Um, and so you would think that from the perspective of an athlete, hearing someone say, oh, you got this, you'll be fine. That would be really encouraging. But at times that doesn't really seem to be how it works out. So make it make sense. I'm I'm going to put out my own defensive disclaimer here. <laughs> it is true. These words have come out of my mouth. And it is true. A lot of times the words come when I either have no idea or I'm thinking about something else. However, in big major event, life-altering, important things, those usually are not the words of choice that I would use. I usually, as David will attest, am much more fatherly like Paul to Timothy, and I give them a sense of guidelines and directions. But if, if uh, I do understand why we say that, though. 
like just in a normal thing, like you, you know, someone's been through this before and you know, you're, they're going to get it. And it's not really that they need more answers. They need more encouragement, but you just need to keep moving forward. Um, the, you can do this kind of says, no, you're not getting help right now. You can, you can handle this. Now the, I believe in you is different if you really do, because not only are you saying you can do this, but you're standing alongside with them. So it's not, I believe in you and you go do something else. It's I believe in you and you stay with them through the process. So for the listeners, I wanted to qualify those couple of statements. Um, so I'm not being bashed unmercifully, uh, we, we should make that very clear because, you know, there are people that could come away with the impression that you're a terrible father and not understand that you you founded an entire ministry based on revealing the father to the fatherless, which has been, in my opinion, wildly successful. But that's neither here nor there for this conversation. Um, well, and that, that's why that, after that, that's why a good father and 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 mother put a budget away for counseling later just for the little things that we didn't get right during the journey. Actually, you know what? A place that we could actually take this is how about you talk about a good example of when, no, I'm serious, when um, that time that I failed to run and you gave me some actual good advice. Mm. That one time how about you just explain that a better way well since there's only one time um i shouldn't i should have a pretty good down in memory david had ran um he was training for the marathon and this ties into our conversation by the way of knowing the athlete and endurance and kind of some of the things that paul was talking about um david was training for his run and he had to do it while we were traveling through the U.S. And that isn't really fun when you're trying to find a new place to actually train for a marathon. So we happened to be in Florida and we found this neighborhood and he's he gets started. And we went a little bit too early in the day. And, you know, we're thinking, you know, we live in Thailand, so the temperature is kind of warm. But there is a reason they start the marathon here in Thailand at three o'clock in the morning is because it's cooler. And I, as we've learned from marathoners, the warmer it is, the harder it is, the colder it is, the easy, not easier, but you know, like there's their speed and everything's different. So he's, he's out training and it's probably six o'clock, six 30 and it's hot. And he has to run, was it 18? How many miles did you have to do that night? Uh, yeah, 18. So he had, he was going to run 18 miles and he got like five and he came down and we kind of had a we would kind of go ahead to the turn points because we had to run through this big huge neighborhood to get the miles in so we kind of went down from point to point so he knew where to make the turns and he came down he goes i'm done like i i can't run but it wasn't like i'm just tired and it wasn't just like i'm hot which he was it was like a different place of like discouragement was on him like he was expecting to run this 18 and now he's only done what five at that time four 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 or five miles when he came down i i just 
um, saw kind of where he was at and he, he wasn't going to receive like, you can do this. This would be like the biggest slap in the face that you could do to some, you can do this. You got this. Um, I believe in you. Yes, you believe, but those wouldn't be the words that would bring any kind of encouragement. And I don't know exactly what I said, but it's like, just maybe you can kind of give the exact words that I said. I can tell kind of how, where I was going with it. I'll let David share the words, but my whole thought process, I got to get your mind off this whole thing right now. And let's just at least get as far as we can go. So you feel like you're doing something because if you stop right now, you're going to be locked. Like you're going to create a, you're going to create a blockade. You, you got to get beyond this, but you can't, it's not words that you can say, like you can't just tell someone that you got to get them outside and just keep moving. And then I think it was whatever I said to you. And then I went and ran with you. You took a break for a moment. And I said, I'll go run with you. Let's just go run and just we're out here, something like that. And I'll just go run with you. I'm not a runner. I really don't like running. I like running worse than David likes running. Like, I don't like it. Never have ran. That's why I played goalie in high school for soccer. I don't like running. But because of this, I found in me, I ended up doing three more miles with him. And then he kind of went ahead. I took a little break. And then I did another mile with him to kind of help pace. And that was the part that... Um, when we're talking about encouraging and believing, you kind of have to be willing to go do a little bit with them. But we no longer got the focus on doing 18 miles. It's like, let's just get as many miles in now that we can. But I don't remember the words that I actually said to you. I don't remember like the exact words either, but it's just something like, you didn't try to encourage, like, you got this, this is only a small hindrance or something like that. It's just like, yeah, you got punched in the face. <laughs> And you didn't really say much. And you just kind of let me, I don't know, you just kind of, you encouraged without encouraging. Like it was out of my control, but you didn't try and say like, you got this or anything like that. And just in that moment, that's just kind of what I needed. It could be similar to... Um... You know, if a boxer goes into a match, let's just say just in the training, and the guy he's sparring with knocks him out, that's not really the thing you want to happen when you're the one training for the the fight. And it kind of happened like that. And it's like, well, you, there's nothing to say. Like, oh, he got punched in the face. So me and David like messing with each other. And there is sometimes, it's quite true, I do that. You can do this because you just go figure it out because I don't want to have to sit and figure it out. And I know you're smart enough to figure it out. But there is a time where real encouragement happens. And I bring that back to, you know, we're talking about the athlete and Paul. I think it's important to really look at this of, of what Paul is saying at the timings. And Jason, I think you brought this up on the last podcast of this is kind of his last, this is his last communication this is kind of the it like this is the final the the final will and you were saying too or the point you were making was that he didn't he didn't really have anybody with him paul was also in a situation that pretty much everybody had deserted him and it's just timothy like 
So here's the guy doing the encouragement to the guy that's going to have to go lead this thing after everybody's, and you just had everybody abandon you. And I think that's just really powerful of the depth of that. So let's get into like these words of encouragement. Um, I just, I think it's important for the listener to what David was bringing up. Encouragement is not what makes you feel good telling someone else. You guys catch that? Yeah. I could tell you something really enriching and uplifting, and I could feel good that I encourage you. <laughs> but real encouragement could be very sacrificial and a whole, you really have to know, see what's going on in that person that, to help draw them to the place where they're, the, the, the God inspiring starts coming back out again. And that that demands a lot of attention. Just words means you have no idea who I am and what motivates me and how am I going to think. So getting back to the athlete, I think that's where this ties in a lot. Athletes have to deal with this differently than a soldier. A soldier understands authority. You're going to do it or you're going to get beaten or you're going to get put in prison or you're going to, you know, a different motivation for a soldier uh, to do the right thing. But for and they do it for each other and they're in this big group. But but an athlete doesn't have those same factors around them. An athlete, especially in the case of a runner or a wrestler that would be likely during that time period, they compete individually. Whoever's coaching them has to pull something different out of them. But again, the athlete's more individualistic, the soldiers more group. And, and just to point the, out two or, just to point out a quick little oh, thing is the athlete can kind of can quit at any point in time where a soldier is forced whether they want to or not to continue and so there's just that dynamic that i'd just like to point out well i think that speaks to the mindset of of an elite athlete which is one of the things that stands out to me when i read this when you look at the mindsets of some of the most elite athletes throughout history there's just something different to where they're in a they're in a sport, they're in a game, and they could quit or they could coast, but there's something that won't allow them to internally to themselves. One of one of my favorite examples of this is uh, Kobe Bryant when he was playing on the international Olympic team one one year, and um, so Team USA they're playing in Spain, and at the time. Paul Gasol was playing for the, the Spanish national team and he was a teammate of Kobe's in LA for the Lakers. And so there's these two teammates in the NBA playing against each other on their different national teams. And Kobe tells team USA that at the start of the game, he's going to run through Paul Gasol. Now you're not allowed to do that in basketball. And they didn't think he was serious. They thought he was joking. And it's really crazy when you hear these players retell this story because they didn't believe him. They're thinking, you can't do that to your teammate. You're going to have to play with him next season. You can't do something like that to a guy um, because, you know, he's your buddy. He's your teammate back in the NBA. But the first play of the game, he literally runs over Pau Gasol, who, by the way, is like a foot and a half taller than him. He runs him over, gets called for a penalty. But the reason he did that was to set this tone that we are not here to play nice, even though we're friends and we know each other. We're here to win. This is the Olympics. We're Team USA. And absolutely nothing, no relationship, no camaraderie will stand in the way of me achieving my goal and leading my team to victory. 
And he didn't have to do any of that. He could have very well just, you know, played with the rest of his teammates. We're all elite superstars. We're going to win the Olympics, whatever it is. But there was something in him that set a higher goal that raised the bar for himself. That's no, I'm not going to just do this like everyone else does. I'm going to find the most intense way to be victorious. And I'm going to compete against myself for that. I'm going to push myself towards that goal. I think there's something just incredible about that mindset to where circumstantially you could look around and lower the bar for yourself. But instead of doing that, you raise it. And an elite level athlete, I think, has that mindset to where it's, I don't care what everyone else expects. I'm going to raise the bar. I mean, I don't make mean to this ain't, uh, I don't want to be derogatory towards anybody, but you know, it's kind of like sometimes when you hear about sports, it gets a little bit, um, a bad rap from especially the Christian community, not all, but there's, there's kind of been a bad rap of that. It's an idol. It can't believe 40,000 people will go stand in the stands and watch someone knock a ball around, but yet, you know, and they get excited and they're energized and they want to be there. But they don't do that at church. And I just think for the listener, I I don't think it's the same type of comparison, but yet there's some truths in both of them that probably could be brought out. We can see in with, with what Paul's saying, because even as a pastor, there's an element of the concepts of being an athlete that you're going to have to hone your skills. And it's not about just um, having a dream for getting a gold medal. It, it means you're going to have to do things different. And there's a great book. It's called Talent is Overrated. Um, in the book, they kind of were building off of the Malcolm Gladwell's uh, thought of 10,000 hours that every great person we've admires has had at least 10,000 hours of deliberate practice in what they do. And this is kind of this is true of most top athletes. But like they were talking about certain athletes in the running or whatever their game is. Like, for instance, if if someone is training for uh, the Olympics or whatever, rather than focusing on I'm going to win the gold, I'm going to win the gold, I'm going to win the gold. How am I going to win the gold? I'm going to win the gold. You know, they're not thinking about that. What they're thinking about is breathe. How do I change my breath? How do I get more oxygen on each step? How do I change my cadence? Like they will go and master these small little minute details in order to do it because they already know they're at that level. Uh, one of the amazing stories was, um, so Lionel Messi, arguably the best currently football soccer player in the world. Um, one of the greatest ever. Um, just he transferred to Inter Milan's or Inter Miami. So he's playing down in Miami now, kind of in more of his retirement years, but still playing at the level that he was last year. And he was at the youth training camp. And one thing that was admired about him, he's, he goes out to the youth in the youth camps that are part of Inter Miami. And one of the youth came up to this reporter, said, what have you learned from Lionel Messi? And he goes, oh, I've learned so much. So he goes, well, can you give us an example? He said, yeah, he told us to walk more. Right. That that seems like just such a dumb, dumb yeah. statement. You playing soccer and you're averaging 12, 15, 12 miles a game. And we're supposed to walk more. His point was, you guys spend all your time running, but you can't see. If you slow down and walk, you'll be able to see the field. And you won't have to run as much. And you'll be able to be more efficient. 
And so he was talking about a truth that he learned from being an elite player. But if you told someone who doesn't like to run, myself playing soccer, walk more. <laughs> Dude, I got it down. I I walk the whole time. It, it's perfect. But see, he's not saying that to me. To me, he's going to say, you need to run. But when you have these kids just running, trying to scramble around, you need to walk more. These are little things that you learn in the in the top echelon of what athletes are and learning those rules. But that is so true with Timothy too, or that's just so true in ministry. There's times you go, 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 and you realize you're driving yourself into the ground. And so you have to learn how to rest. But it doesn't mean you're always on vacation and getting a sabbatical every year. It means you have to have a point where you can get a slight break to bring things back into perspective. So there's all these little truths that can apply to any area of life. And that's that's the principle that Paul's trying to be talk about. But there's so much more we can talk about with an athlete that we can learn from. I know, like, I think I see this across the board. And it's like, the I think it's just the mentality that athletes have. And I think it's like, even in like business, other aspects of life, like the mentality that an athlete has applies across the board. And I think we've been talking about this whole time, like different mentalities, like that athletes have because they're honed in on their skills, like you saying with the walk more, like that's such an odd thing, but is it, it is a mentality to have. And like, um, especially like, you know, like I love the whole running athlete aspect, even though I personally hate running. I mean, I've been doing it for like the last two two weeks consistently every day, finally, and I hate it, but I respect it so much more even than before, like hearing David's stories and and then, you know, ironically David and then David Goggins. There's something about dudes named David, I guess. But like even um there's like ultra ultra marathon runners, their mentality is just insane like it doesn't seem like when you really get down to it like their mentality is like there's a very small percentage of the population that actually not only like because we can say we have that mentality but until we actually go and do it and prove we have it that's when you're like oh that person has the mentality because like it's the same thing with the encouragement thing that we were talking about earlier it's like you can say these things but it's not really until you put into action that it's actually encouraging or that you actually can prove to yourself that you have the mentality. And even in a sense, that is a mentality to have. But I think that's like the number one thing when I'm looking at athletes is like, what's the way that they're thinking that is pushing them to this extreme, like ultra marathon running where their feet are so blistered and swollen, they take off their socks and it's ripping off their skin at the end of 250 miles. Like what is the mentality that got them to do that through like just excruciating pain? And like we've been saying, it's not like where they were forced to, they like put this put this upon themselves like i saw a video this guy recorded like this race instructor and they were like they're like repeat after me on this megaphone before this ultra marathon starts and they're like this is my own fault i chose this if i get hurt it is my fault if i don't finish it is my fault and they had to say that the whole time of like there's no excuses i'm the one who chose to do this and i'm gonna follow through with it just because like I'm going to do it. And I think that is like the number one mentality that I'm still trying to 
like obtained for myself in a lot of aspects is like pushing myself just because whatever i think there's different reasoning and everything but just pushing myself just to see what my limits are and then going past that through pain so i think the endurance mentality is one of my favorite mentalities of athletes and i think that one is always inspiring and also terrifying at the same time what what draws you to that caleb um i think well first of all personal experience with the endurance aspect because um like last year for those who don't know i guess i don't want to repeat it like every episode but i started the athlete or this this year i guess it feels like a year ago I started the Appalachian Trail, got about 100 miles in and sprained my ankle. So it wasn't like I decided to quit. In a sense, I still feel that I did. In some sense, I know I didn't. But also like every day on the Appalachian Trail, hiking like more than I ever had before each day with more weight on my back and like doing that for a week consistently and you stink and your socks are wet every morning you put it on. Like maybe before there was some part of me that maybe believed I could have just gone and done that. And I think I did, but I think there was also a part of me that when I got out there and started doing it, it took every day was a mental battle of me telling myself, I cannot do this. I cannot do this. And then me just having to keep on doing it, even though everything mentally was telling me, I literally cannot, like it was just mental battle after mental battle. Like I've never had, so much inner conversation with myself in my head of arguing with myself and like having to keep on telling myself no you can and like i'll be puking my guts out on the side of the trail and i'm like no i can keep going i don't care that i just threw up that really doesn't matter in the long scheme and i think like personally experiencing that and then seeing it in other people there's something about it where it's like also I know that if I can push through those moments in particular, then for the rest of my life, when there's those hard moments where I'm telling myself I can't, I will be able to. And I think that is like something I want in myself so badly because I know for a fact there's parts of my life I do not have that. And so it's like something I am trying to obtain of no matter what, pushing through, like waking up at, 6am every morning, no matter what, nobody's like checking on me. Nobody's going to be like, good job. You got up at 6am and ran in the cold. Like, but there has to be some part of me that just does it anyways, because later in life, it's my guess just from life experiences, it's only going to get harder, the less of that mentality I have. So I might as well put myself in the pain now before I have to go face it later in life. Like I think on the last podcast, I can't remember exactly how I said it. Oh yeah. I said like, this is, this is like my mentality for my life right now is you better get a passion for doing hard things before hard things get a passion for you. And I think that is like everything I'm doing right now. And I am failing like every other day, succeeding every other day. So I'm saying that with like in the back of my head, like, yeah, I did not do that today when I had that two slices of pizza that I know I shouldn't have. Like, and that's that sounds dumb and silly, but for me, that is doing a hard thing is like 
not eating pizza or whatever. Like, but little things like that translate to big things. And so I think I want that mentality probably more than anything else I want in my life right now. And the only way to do it is like doing the hard things, which sucks because it is like, it's not something you can get easily. I have figured it out and you can give it up so easily, even after you get it. Like I had it for like a solid week and then I like give up once then I'm like, okay, throw it all away, but I have to keep that mentality. So I know that's a lot of rambling about it, but um, that's why I love that so much and like have to look for that every day to put in me so I can actually survive life. Basically, I think. I think it was, uh, is it Chad Wright that does the big 250 mile runs and whatever mm -hmm. he said something interesting he said a lot of people think yeah you've you've trained yourself because he was a navy seal first which is interesting when to tie all these there's an interesting tie to the soldier the athlete and the farmer but they're all three different there's three different things but there's a very interesting tie together but he was a navy seal then he went and did, did the ultra marathons and it was interesting he was making the point a lot of guys come out of the SEALs or military and they kind of lose themselves because they create this warrior mentality that I'm a warrior. Then all of a sudden you have nothing to war against. Like you, you don't know what to do with life. And he went into ultras to war, go to war against the trail, to go to war against the, like that's kept him in, in the sink. Like it was a transition for him that made him really healthy that he could continue to be at war but no not with people not with things not with territories but with himself in the trail or himself in that that he was going to war against in a way himself like no i'm not quitting but at the end just like you're saying there's some people that believe well yeah they've trained themselves so they don't feel hungry anymore they don't feel the pain in their feet anymore they don't they don't feel the 250 miles and he said that is just he won't talk about it when he's in the run. You won't hear a thing. He acts, he'll just keep going on like he's just, I'm, I can go do this all day long. But when the race is over, he's like, uh, everything hurts. It, it all hurts. He's hungry. He, he goes, the feelings that we have never go away. But you've learned something stronger to, to deal with the feelings. But the feelings are all still there. So they feel depressed. They feel hungry. They feel like I don't want to do this. They've just built something that can push them beyond it. Um, I just want to just point out a verse of like, so how you're explaining, like there's just a mental, I don't know if you could call it darkness. I'm going to call it darkness that your mind kind of goes to that you have to push through anyway. And you have to kind of callous your mind a little bit to endure it. And the callous goes away really easily. Um, but in Hebrews uh five uh 13 through 14 it says for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child but solid food is for the mature for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil and i feel like it's kind of the same way biblically is you have to have that discernment by constant practice you have to keep that callous kind of there towards uh 
doing good things over bad things. Great point, which really ties into deliberate practice. So it's not just, I read my Bible. It's like you're, you're deliberate towards something. I think too, with the constant practice thing, because I know like another part of the endurance mentality is like, it's never over. Like that's the another reason I love the endurance mentality is because for the rest of my life, I'll need endurance and it doesn't have to be like a physical thing, but like training it physically is like a really practical, I think easy quote unquote way to get it started. But like even when the race is over for those ultra marathon runners, they're going home and training like whatever crazy amount of miles, you know, not even that long after. And even though they're like training for the next race, it's really because like their whole life is just a race of running every day. And I think like with the constant practice thing, it's like that mentality of like, it really is never over until you die. Like not to be like negative or like, you know, whatever weird about all that stuff, but it like life continues on. And the second you stop, it's like the river, like you swimming up river the whole time. And the second you stop, you're just going to get carried down. Like I find that's true with myself. So the constant practice thing, especially like, like biblically with your mentality and everything too, you really have to stay on top of it. It's like more like not to be cliche, but like the lifestyle of living as an athlete. Cause an athlete is a lifestyle. It's not just like a job or something like that, where it's something you go and do like the athlete, when they train it, it takes over every aspect of their life, what they eat, when they wake up, when they go to sleep, what they like think about mentally, what they're consuming. Cause athletes aren't sitting around watching movies all day. Like they're probably keeping themselves educated, like on like the best techniques for stuff. So it's like, I love that verse because it's, it's a good reminder of like alongside the endurance mindset that it, it never stops and you got to stay on top of it because the laws of entropy are against you basically. Yeah, I actually have a good, it's something I found. I have to find, I believe it's in Second Corinthians 2. Where, but it kind of just mentions how in the world we are, um, this might not tie into as much as I think it does, but it says in the world, you're... The world is like a tent, right? And you and we grovel and we're in pain, misery, or whatever. We just the troubles of the world. But God comes and clothes us instead of taking, instead of removing a burden, which I kind of always believed that Jesus takes away our burdens and then like that. But after reading it in Second Corinthians, I kind of believe it's more that instead of taking away a burden, God clothes us more and more from our burdens. And it's seen in that in Second Corinthians. I mean, okay, I'm still saying that he takes away our burdens, but I kind of think it's in the way of clothing us with more righteousness i guess the cloak of righteousness that it kind of gives us and 
Um, so there is still like once you're saved, you're still going to struggle with these things of the world. I mean, you might just have a great encounter where everything just doesn't, but in a lot of cases, you're still going to struggle with the things of the world. And to go along with the last verse of being the deliberate practice. Yeah, we have something that's part of the grace. And I think it's interesting when Paul starts this verse that he's telling Timothy to endure hardness as a good soldier, consider the soldier, consider the farmer, consider the athlete. His first verse is be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And then Paul's talks about by his grace, I've labored more than you all. Paul also talks about that his strength is made perfect in my weaknesses. So I think what David is kind of bringing out, there's this peace that we're given, but now we be deliberate with that peace. For 2 Corinthians 5, for we know that the tent that if the tent that are, is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to be longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in the tent, we groan being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that would we be that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. So you're putting the clothing to swallow up. All these things. One thing I've seen in that idea of, of grace and works when it comes to what we do. Like, I don't think many of you guys would want to take an entire summer and do nothing but practice music, piano, guitar, and drums. I don't think you guys would enjoy that. But that's what I did a summer between semesters when I was at university. When everyone else went home for the summer... I decided to live on campus and I had to find a way to pay for all that because I wanted to stay where I would be challenged to perform musically. And so every day I'd get up, not quite every day, but pretty much every day I'd get up and I'd be in the practice room. And it was a lot of hours of sitting there playing piano until my fingers were sore and couldn't move anymore. And then the next day I would, try drums. This was back when I was still teaching myself drums and I was not very good at it. And I'd making these awful sounds in the practice room for everyone to hear. And so there was a lot of work that was put in that summer and a lot of things. And I, I certainly didn't do it perfectly. There's things I could have done better, you know, just uh, logistically to facilitate all that. But there was a mindset that I had, well, this is what I am. So everything about me is music this year. And I'm giving myself fully to it. And it really doesn't matter what everyone else is doing with their time. It doesn't really matter other people's opinions on, well, you should do this instead. It didn't even matter that my my mom didn't like that I wasn't eating very much that summer because I was just living off tuna and crackers and, and McDonald's because I was 19 and I could still do that and I could save a bunch of money and it was what I wanted to do. And so I put myself in these weird positions where all I had was a obsession and it didn't feel like forced works. It was intense works that came out of the grace of who I was. And so even though it was difficult and even though there was 
there was, well, I guess difficult is just a great word for it. There was difficulty in the works. It was a work of grace because that's who I was and there wasn't anything else and I didn't need anything else. And God was with me in that. And so I could endure all the crazy things that I endured that summer. And it wasn't that big a deal. It was actually kind of fun and kind of exciting to go through all that. I think that fits to what God's telling Paul or, or what Paul's telling Timothy. There's a grace for you to do this, Timothy, and you know that grace. You know the words that have been spoken over to you. In your heart, you know you're in the right place. Be strong in that grace. Now endure hardship as a good soldier. Compete according to the rules for the prize as an athlete. Be a hardworking farmer and be first to partake of the crops because there's a grace to be there. We have a grace to be in Thailand. A lot of people wouldn't. Caleb, you have a grace to go do some of the fields that you do. Tommy, you have a grace to step into things that you're doing. Doesn't mean you're always good at it, but there's like this, a way of seeing it that's different than most people. Like there's this, you 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 don't even see some of the problems that in someone who doesn't want to be there would see even though you're dealing with the same problems. There's a grace. I haven't like thought about this before, but I guess, you know, how we got into the grace thing was you said, like, you know, someone could say like, oh, Caleb, you're talking about enduring hard things, working so much, blah, 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 blah. Like, and just going on and up, on and about that and not like the grace to do things. And I think sometimes it's because like when it comes to, the grace of stuff and what Paul's talking about the athlete. I think it's because like, I feel I have the grace for the thing already. And the only thing that's stopping me from accomplishing it is myself. Not because like, I feel like there's not a grace there to do it. And so I think sometimes I definitely forget about the grace aspect because when it comes to the grace aspect, I already feel like God has, led me in the direction to the place where I am. And then it's kind of like, okay, I've led you here. I've made the it easy. Like this is easy for you to do in the sense of like understanding everything, but there's still the discipline and the like aspect of having the hard work mentality. Cause I think if anything, not to be like overly general or critical, sometimes we get the grace thing because it's like, it's easy to do, but we focus that on so much that when we're in the thing that has grace and it becomes a little challenging because life is naturally challenging. I think sometimes that's where people get confused because, Oh, I had the grace to do this, or I feel the grace to do this. And I know like God's telling me to do this. Well, why isn't working out how I thought it was going to, or why isn't it just like super easy to do? And I think there's times like with the grace aspect that, like Paul understands as an athlete is because like the athlete chose to go into whatever sport they're going to, they have the grace to be there and to do all that, but they still have to wake up every morning and choose to keep on pushing through in that thing, no matter how hard it is. So I think a good clarification is like grace does not equal easy in the sense of every day. I think grace equals like grace and faith combined with works so the grace and faith is that like god has placed me here i followed him and i know at the end it'll be worth it on the other side because i'm obeying him and then the works aspect is okay but i still there's still every day in between that and that's not going to be easy because like 
there is still the things that are hard in life and challenging because not everything's perfect. And so I think that's like the good clarification to have between the two, if that makes sense for myself. Anyways. Well, I think that's, that's why you see specific terminology here because you see the first charge, like we said, to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And then the athlete is the one who's competing, not a, a gladiator who's forced into some kind of activity. There's an athlete who is choosing to compete in something that they love and they are excelling at. And because of that, there's there's a completely different picture. Because it's an athlete and not some slave gladiator person who's thrown into a coliseum for entertainment, you have to compete according to the rules. And the athlete that loves their sport and loves their arena loves the rules. They don't, they don't go, you don't go onto the soccer field and pick up the ball with your hands and start running and sprinting across the field. If you're playing basketball, you don't start kicking the ball around and start just elbowing people in the face because those are not the rules. That's not how the game is played. Like in, and in my case, when I was practicing music, I wasn't just slamming on the piano because like, well, I'm putting my time in. There are rules and theory to music that I had to abide by. And some of those rules you can adjust and you can bend them a bit and get creative with, sure. But I think that's where we see this aspect of grace and the perspective coming alongside this, this you have to compete according to the rules. So there are parameters that you have to stick to. Otherwise, this thing doesn't work and you don't receive the crown and you, you are not, you're not completing the work that's in your heart to do in the first place. So you don't get to go into the re- into the arena as a basketball player and compete in soccer. They're two different things. You have to compete according to the rules of your given arena. And when you do that in grace, then I think you're living in the fulfillment of what he's giving the exhortation to. So I guess to bring up this grace conversation, maybe look at it a different light. Maybe you guys can uh, – tear me apart and tell me I'm completely wrong, but I'm going to go back a few years in my life. Um, When I was 12, uh, well, since the age of six, I've been always very passionate about baseball and playing baseball. And it was always something I really enjoyed to do. And when I was uh, 10, I got selected to be on the all-star team for my little league. Um, And I remember just, day after day after day we would practice and you'd think you know with baseball what is there to practice you're probably hitting probably playing catch we practice defense for a full two hours we didn't practice hitting on the regular right but we practice defense why because it was the little details that in every team that, yes, we're all-stars, but it's the little details that made us the difference. And one thing I remember from this is I remember listening to um, TCU, so Texas Christian University. I don't know how Christian they really are, but they had a great baseball program, and I listened to a YouTube video called The Grind. Now, I suggest anyone go listen to that. You'll get up in the morning right away. You'll be you'll be ready to go. But – at the end, it talks about um, 
you have to take the battle to open hostile territory. You're lying in a field of lions, all hunting the same elusive prey. That desperate starvation that says victory is the only thing that can keep you alive. So believe the voice that says you can run a little faster, you can run a little harder, and that the laws of fear, physics to you are merely a suggestion. Nobody can judge effort because effort is between you and you. Every day is a new day and a moment and a new moment. So now you got to show them a different creature than you were just five minutes ago. And to that, to me, shows like we practice hard and hard every day, every day, so much so that there was a peace when we got to the game. It was almost like relaxing going to the game because there's a confidence that we've built up over the time of practicing day in, day out. We did two days. We did it in the heat of summer. We practiced things that no one else practiced. We, you know, we'd get in a group. Our coach would get us in, um, and we'd think, oh, this is it. We're, we're done practicing defense. We, he'd be talking with us, and then he would just yell, go touch that fence. And we'd all have to run out to the center field and touch the fence and come back. But we're practicing these little details of things you wouldn't think of. Like in baseball, what is baseball? It's a slow, boring game, but then all of a sudden you need to go. You need to be quick. And we're practicing these little things that I never really picked up until now and just seeing like, man, practice every day was like, it was intense. And then getting to the game, it was like a breeze and it was relaxing. Even in the most like tense, stressful moments, people would say, there's like a, a confidence of there being practicing every day, but we weren't ever practicing against anyone else. We are always practicing against ourselves against yourself. You know, how good can you do that day with, you know, coach might've not hit to me for an hour, but every day, every time I'm backing up a throw to second base, every time I'm backing up a throw to third base and it's just instinct. And I think it's the same thing with our spiritual, spiritual walk too. How disciplined are you every day reading your Bible and praying, or are you just waiting for that one moment when you need to throw a Hail Mary prayer to God to save you, right? And I think that's like the the athlete point to me is it's a choice to choose these daily disciplines so that when I am in the game, I can go with confidence of like I've already won, right? Does that make sense? And I think that ties into like what you were saying, Jason, too, with like the music, right? Like you practice all summer to the point where it's like when you when you're now worshiping, is it like you're nervous and you're like oh like I you know because we've all had that right like I, I think of giving like a speech in school too, like you practice to a point to where it's like it just comes out, it's just oozing out of you. It's just a part of who you are. But then you, I, I maybe not everyone, but I've had the moments where. I don't practice a speech and I'm up there stumbling, uh, the, the, you know? And so there's a confidence that comes with like the daily disciplines of being an athlete in every, every situation, every, you know, I, I'd be hard pressed to find a, a walk in life where you don't need to have a daily discipline, like an athlete. Tommy, that was really good. And Caleb, that all the perspective and I, I think maybe when, when we're talking about being strong in the grace, we've used that word to really combat religious ideas 
where religion was saying, if you don't do all these things, you can't be accepted by God. God came down and said, there's no way you could do anything to be accepted by me, except receive what I've given you. So the receiving of the grace is more positional that you don't earn. Tommy, you're on the all-star team. You, you, Yeah, you, you labored hard. It's not really a fair example because there is a, a working up to get there. But the picking to be on the all-star team was you were graced to be on the all-star team. Someone had to still grace you to be on that team. And they're, they're, the season before, arguably worked just as hard, wasn't selected. Right. So this is, this is your being selected. And I, I was thinking about, we did the youth last night and we were talking about uh, the spies and their thought process. I think one of the biggest pictures that I think could be addressed here that could be seen in the, the, the picture, at least so far, of the soldier and the, the athlete. Different, different scenarios, similar principles, but they so tie together, which is interesting um, how, how a lot of times a soldier and athlete, th those kind of flow together, or even the hardworking farmer. Um, I do have to say, I'll throw out the movie Gladiator is interesting. It's all three. And yes, he was a slave as a gladiator. This is true. Until he realized he could win his freedom. Then he became an athlete. Mm-hmm. I was wondering how long it'd be before someone brought that movie up. Okay. But I do agree. Your whole point was true. Like an athlete that's just being forced into there as fodder is not an athlete. Um, right. But I do think it's interesting how all three of those things were a part of Gladi Maximus was a farmer that became a soldier that became an athlete. So he can go take care, you know, he can go solve all this life. Kind of interesting metaphor. So, so back to the grace thing, and uh, so my point is this, is when we're graced into something, like in the promised land, when the children are getting ready to leave, God said, I can't take them, by the way, to the, through the Philistines, because if they see war, they'll turn back, so i got to take them the, by the way of the Red Sea. He said, if they see war, they will change their mind and want to go back to Egypt. So I want you to ponder this, of... God is gracing a people to leave. They're given the wealth. They're given the food. Everything is supplied for to go to the promised land, but they don't go. They can't go that way because the moment they see war, they're not going to go. Now, God, we're not in war, but we are in war. Our promise is in war. And I think it's very interesting that God in grace was trying to develop people, but they couldn't see it. Like they couldn't see that they had to go and war with God and they'll win. And they've already won, but they have to go to war. They have to go to battle. They have to go into the competition. They have to go plant the field. They have to go do that, but they're with God and that's being graced. And we've been graced into a position with him. So what is our role in that position? So we have to learn to know him, understand his ways. So we become disciplined into that. Joseph became disciplined in the ways of Egypt. Daniel became disciplined in the ways of Babylon. Uh, Nehemiah became disciplined in the ways of Persia. They became disciplined in the ways so they could do the things that they were graced into. 
And so discipline and hard work have nothing to do with you getting to know God. It has everything to do with bringing out and executing what has been freely given to you. And if we could put that into the right context, rather than seeing grace as, oh, I don't have to do works anymore. How about we see grace as the position we've been placed into that we can't earn. And we take it by faith. And now we work because we're, we think from a new position. We're not working to get the position because we already have it. We're now working out of the role of that position. Might be a, a little bit better way to contextualize it with these three examples. I think the last thing you mentioned, Brian, was like the, you know, the whole point, not the whole point, but there's the aspect of this grace and works and where, where does it end up? And I think like Paul says it and, you know, he's saying he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And there's that aspect there that I think sometimes we forget is at the end, there is the victory. And so I guess earlier I said, um, like, you don't stop until you die, which I think is true because interestingly enough, like we have victory and death because of Jesus, which is the grace and all that combines, which is kind of crazy actually to think about now. Um, because when you die, you have victory in a way that's, hold on, just cut that, cut that. But anyways, you get the point. But, um, I think like, there is this aspect of like, okay, we are chasing after something like there is a day where there will be victory. And I think to, and I think also we can, we see that in our lives in small moments, like in what we're doing, like I see small victories in my life that I feel like God has given me the grace to chase this victory or this crown. And I put in the endurance and the hard work and I obtain that in my life. And it's like, okay, on to the next one, like just like the athlete. And I think there is this like to keep in mind in our life, it's not just pointless. Like we're not doing all the hard things for no reason. There is things that God is going to gift us with and crown us with that I think will prepare us for the next thing that we're going after and going after. And I think it's this like repetitive cycle, but I don't think it ever gets boring. And I think that's important to keep in mind it is to not get so stuck in the moment when it's hard and kind of keep your eyes forward towards the prize and the victory, which I think for the Christian is the life of Jesus. And so I think as a final thought, like maintaining the eyes of the athlete set towards victory, even in the hard stuff and even in every moment of everything that we're doing. Well, two things as we wrap it up. First, I'm a little disappointed that we didn't get into a debate on whether professional hot dog eating competitions were considered athletics or not uh, we might may have to get there another time because you know those those pros work hard but anyways i guess a lot of smiles and nods for our listeners who can't see the video of this but one thing i we didn't get too much time to go into in this episode but um, as an athlete it's important to know you aren't the one making up the rules to the contest because he does mention competing according to the rules. And our role is the athlete. We are not the ones making up the rules. We are graced into a position in the contest as God has set the rules. And to some people that seems too oppressive or too restraining, but 
what I have learned is that as you understand the rules and operate in them from that position as the athlete you've been graced into, you find a deep love and appreciation for those rules and how you can navigate them and how there's a flow and there's an understanding. And it's really not restrictive because the worst thing that can happen to an athlete is to be found in some kind of sport where there are no rules because then there is no competition. There is no crown. There's not even defeat. There's, there's nothing. And so well, that's one thing that that's always helped me to keep in mind is I am an athlete that's been crowned into a position of grace in this, but I do not make the rules, but I love following them and learning how to push my limits. Well, I shouldn't say push the limits against the rule. That's, that's not what I mean. That's, that'll be clipped out of context somewhere, but I hope you guys understand what I'm saying. I know Tommy does because he's got his hat on backwards now, but anyways, we appreciate you guys tuning into this episode. Next one, we're going to kick it off with uh, discussing the farmer. And one thing that's always kind of intrigued me that I've never had the opportunity to discuss with people in depth is what what we think it means when he says the farmer should be the first to partake of the first fruits. Because there's some aspects to that, and and I don't want to get it into now. Um, and and first fruits isn't in every translation. So maybe we'll correct some of that in the next episode, but there's some really interesting things that I wanted to bounce off you guys in that one. So hope you guys stick around for the next episode as well. And we appreciate you guys tuning in until next time, keep the faith and stay in the fight.